Hey, welcome back to this third installment of my series about deconstructing Zionism as an ex-Mormon and guess who got demonetized because of the content of the following video. Yep, that's me. I tried to blur as many of the more gory images as I possibly could as we try to talk about this really serious subject. So if you like this video, if you like this channel, please support it. The links will be below, but definitely there is a heavy content warning and viewer discretion is advised. Oh, hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, back to the show. I am Kara Burrell. I hope that you've been enjoying my series on Israel and Palestine, Zionism, and all things that are sad and terrible and horribly divisive. Last time we took on Zionism, the big, the big Z word. And today we're going to take on the big G word. We're only a few seconds in, so please do me a favor and hit the like button. Um, I've been preparing for what I hope is a very thoughtful series. I try to make videos that are funny typically and informative, and today we're taking on the least funny topic in existence. I put together these episodes with help from my friend Lindsay, so before I bring her on um, and we get into the heavy stuff, introducing myself again. I am Kara. I am an ex-Mormon. Overall, I'm a curious girl. I'm a tax-paying girl. Now, make sure that you hit the subscribe button if you have a free hand right now. And welcome to the Mormon History Hoedown. Three parts for this series has been a lot. and I, I know that in many respects, I'm not going to even be scratching the surface. Um, but part one and two, we discuss Zionism as it relates to growing up Mormon specifically and what part Zionism plays in this war. My guest, Lindsay, who I will bring on in a second, Lindsay had a viral video that discussed what it was like to deconstruct her Zionism that she was brought up with, the type of Zionism I was brought up with as a devout Mormon. So make sure that you don't miss those. They serve as a big jumping off point for our passion around this topic. And I think they're really good. Part one, starting off kind of easy. Part two, holy smokes. And then part three. So I know this will be my most divisive episode yet. My heaviest episode yet. My final episode. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. About just the aspects of the war. And it's just, it pains me that I couldn't just release a six hour video like we and Lindsay have recorded. But if you stick around to the end, uh, my guest and I will do a response to a Mormon Palestinian man um, giving his most pro-Israel, pro-Mormon opinion, which I will not hold back in saying that I hated. But we made it to part three. I have lost track of how long we have been recording. Now let's get my girl socialistly awkward back in here. Hi. Saying hi again. <laughs> I am not in the medical profession for one of the simple reasons that I thought when I was a teenager, I wanted to be like a paramedic or firefighter, just do kick-ass awesome stuff. Um, and then I realized I could never look at a charred body. I could never look at like when legs move back the other way. And there was a video that I saw today and I've seen a lot of stuff. Uh, the indiscriminate bombing that's been raining down on the Palestinians and the video that I saw today, there's a horse dead, bloody, fallen over. And then people, and there were children in like something had just happened pools of blood and this little boy it's just you never really see a dead body you don't really come face to face with a dead person or somebody who uh has their leg 
is completely in the wrong direction and the bone is sticking out and blood is squirting or a guy, this guy I was watching, he was still kind of moving around and he had just blood pulsating out of his nose. You have to remember that we share a planet and a human race with people. And I, the, the babies that are being held Israeli holding a toddler baby, just holding it like a rag doll. And she's like, I've never seen a, a dead baby like that, just being tossed around. And your brain just kind of goes through this metamorphosis into like, why, who, who did this? How can you, and where is the people who treat these lives with any kind of care? You're just brain malfunctions in seeing so many dead people and people screaming for their kids under the rubble is that this is just one small aspect of us as a human race, having a choice to kind of either reignite our humanity or turn away from it. If you know what I mean? Because how often do people, this is a different war than other wars. We have cell phone cameras now, you know, that we're able to see the actual fallout of policies and conflicts in real time and what these experiments of colonialism, imperialism, whatever you want to call it, what they actually look like, things that you could only imagine before, or that are just like I said, propagandized in like this many lives were lost and you don't have like a, a complex picture of what that looks like. And what it does to me, you're a mom, I'm a mom. I don't know about you, but I can't understand how, you know, when somebody is screaming for their child under the rubble, how you can't not say I would lose my mind if that was my child under the rubble. And every day since watching these stories about the war, like, I know it sounds cliche, but I do love my kids way more. I think about the walls of my home, the way that you see wall, like homes in war zones before and after, and thinking about like, that's always in the Middle East or that's always somewhere else. Like it's not personal to you because you don't look, you don't live in homes that look like that, but to them, that's what their homes look like. That's what their families look like. This is what their traditions look like. And to them, that is the norm. But when it's in a different country, you kind of disconnect from it. But when you see the mom screaming for her child under the rubble, and there's like uh, this little 10 year old girl video I watched, who's just like, mommy, wake up, mommy, wake up as she's in a body bag being carried out. And I don't have to tell anybody in this audience, you know, that, oh, the person in the body bag was, yeah, sorry. (laughs) The person in the body bag was Israeli or the person in the body bag was Palestinian. You know that a crying child is a crying child who just lost their parents, right? And so like that, that crying for your child under the rubble and, and that, that holding of your child where there's nowhere to go. There's the, the, the fact that Israel controls so many of the resources in Gaza before this and, and, and during this conflict it's, it just is a, a lack of basic understanding of what unites us is that a person screaming for their child under the rubble that they will never see again is a very, very, very complex emotion that I would hope nobody would want anyone to go through. Not in America, not there, that for whatever reasons that they're put in that situation can be analyzed. But the lack of empathy, like we were talking about earlier, to be like, well, those people, They, uh, they're just, you know, don't they know how it's going to end? Like you said, you know, it's like, that isn't good enough for the compassion and the 
unity that I feel with every screaming child and mother and person. I, I think this is incredibly powerful. And, and the fact that we are seeing it and seeing it in real time and that I, I don't, I, I, I still get this feeling. I don't know how we're supposed to be functioning. Like it feels mm -hmm. weird to go to work every day and yeah. talk about like prior authorizations or referrals or going to the grocery store or trying to or just when your kids are acting up and you're like, kids, don't you know how lucky you are? You have yes, a roof over yes. your heads and like, yeah, it's like, I love you guys. And it's just like, I want to hold you guys all the time. I would, you're just imagining how uh, life could be completely so different if you were halfway around the world right now and born into a different body that you didn't choose. And you're just like, we are lucky to be here. And for some reason I am allowed to move on with my day. And we're gonna have to get into the disproportionality yeah. of retaliation mm -hmm. fact in uh, just a second. Mm -hmm. The uh, indiscriminate bombing uh, campaign of Israel and why people are so up in arms about them uh, taking up arms, right? So yeah. like it's, it's complicated and there's political parties involved and religious parties involved. But when you see this little boy I'm putting up here on screen, uh, he says, I carried a body with my own hands. Um, he's shaking and he's crying. And he's rubbing his eyes. He says, and I carried another headless body with my own hands. I don't know if people are desensitized to this and we think this is normal, that this is just the, the cost of war or something. Um, I can't understand why uh, more people are not calling for a ceasefire. So, uh, Lindsay, what do you have to say on this? So I was so scared that we would become desensitized to that. But I think the outcry from it and seeing all of this and... And I think, yes, as, as a human, as a mother, as just a person, it is so shocking and so horrifying. And, and because of social media, because even 10 years ago, um, even 2008 and 2014, when there were other things that happened, not to this scale, but with people in Gaza, that even then there wasn't the access that we have now. Yeah. With, with cell phones, with, TikTok, with Instagram, with Facebook, with all of these social media platforms, um, we can get information out quickly. Um, and, and we're seeing this in real time. It's, we're seeing it as it happened. It's not something that happened. And then in a couple of months, we're like, oh, absolutely. Well put, I have nothing to add. Um, this one, I do have to play a little bit of I understand what the administration is trying to do. They have a lot of pressure within their party that says, hey, you know, put 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 the handcuffs on Israel. Don't let them bomb people. Well, th th this is a part of war. This is a part of, you know how many people, how many children died in Iraq and Afghanistan as casualties? But you know what? There were also children that didn't have a, have a problem putting on a suicide vest out there and murdering our guys as well. This is what we call my country, right or wrong. Uh, you know, I picked a side and I'm sticking to it and also called green lighting genocide. Holy crap. Seriously, though. Yeah, we killed kids in Iraq and Afghanistan. And are we not saying that was bad? Like, could Hamas not be like, we've killed a bunch of people before and committed war crimes. So it's the exact same uh, absolutely fig Newton for a brain type of logic, anti-intellectual, anti-moral argument. I can't believe that this is the point our, our entire human race is actually taking arguments like this seriously. To be serious about the ideology that we're facing, if we're not, more Jews will die here in America.
More Americans will die as a result, and we can have the next 9-11. This is not an ideology that you can negotiate with. This is not an ideology that, that you can pray with and think that they're going to change their mind. It is deeply rooted in who they are. So, of course, I wanted to be a lot more nuanced in this, but I knew that I was going to be playing clips that were this heavy-handed about greenlighting genocide in the most grotesque ways. So, yeah, if you want some kids to kill, go ahead and kill them. The, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Half the time, you have the Israeli Defense League saying that we are super careful about casualties. Oh, we are totally okay. And then the other times, they're like, actually, and also, you know, everybody who's in Palestine is not a civilian. And then other times they're like, and even if they are and they're children, we've killed them before in different illegal and offensive wars in the Middle East. So just have at it. Uh, just uh, problem with, you know, this indiscriminate bombing idea among many is the same concept that if a crazed maniac came into your child's elementary school and took one kid and put a gun to his head and the police just said, um, we're not going to argue with this terrorist, blow up the entire school. It is that of like never in a million years would you be like, that is a sane way to go about your police business, <laughs> you know, things, yeah. that, things of that exact nature, you know. And so the idea that like if Hamas was in Israel and they had a bunch of hostage and there was a situation, how would you expect um, Israelis who are trying to minimize the casualties, the, the, the Israeli Defense Force, if they're trying to minimize the casualties of the Israeli citizens to get Hamas? How would they treat them? Would they would they be blowing up your own hostels? No, no, you no, you wouldn't. So this is an interesting clip of just trying to apply a, a similar standard here because yeah. everything about this conversation is that Hamas is a terrorist organization, and that is undoubtedly true. But then we are expected to act like the ways that they terrorize people are completely far and removed from the ways that Israel is responding and they are not different and they're extremely worse. And we're trying to say, okay, both very bad, but my tax dollars help pay for one of those. Exactly. So. And, and it's becoming a ratio issue too, where they, we can admit they are both, both atrocities, but again, there's a proportionality that is different that has to be acknowledged. It, and it becomes kind of like Schrodinger's IDF where they are both elite and extremely tactical and they're able to isolate sound sound bites of Hamas and also literally the only thing that they are able to do to effectively eliminate Hamas is indiscriminate bombing like so like it isn't both like like your analogy with the child at the school yeah like if you're able to be extremely tactical and you would probably be you're not if this was happening in Israel yeah. and you're not then why? Right. And now that a lot of hostages have been released, there are Israeli hostages who have been furious at Netanyahu saying yeah. that we were fearful that we weren't going to get killed by Hamas, but we were fearful that we were going to get killed by your guys's uh, indiscriminate bombing, your Israeli indiscriminate bombing that was going to kill us. And that obviously you don't care about the Palestinian lives, but also I thought you cared about the Israeli hostages lives. And so there's audio recording of that. And I want to go ahead and pull up some numbers up here on screen. And I know what people are thinking, hey, I thought this wasn't a political channel. Nuanso, what are you trying to do? We're talking about this now. I just think that this is 
the ramifications, this is the outgrowth of a lot of the beliefs that I had as a Mormon and as a Zionist, that I would have been okay with these kinds of things like me and Lindsay have been talking about that this is the way that the world is supposed to go in our previous Zionist beliefs that needed to be deconstructed. And if you actually look at the disproportionality of this, this isn't just war. This is something that I uh, don't want to look back at when a war crimes tribunal is going on and think that I sat back and said absolutely nothing, right? So I'm not going to sit back when I have, there's things that have absolutely nothing to do with Hamas, like Israel putting cement inside the watering holes as they occupy the West Bank. People are distrustful of these numbers, but its history has shown through past conflicts in this war that the numbers have come out pretty accurately. Um, but even if the UN numbers are slightly lagging behind the Euromed monitor numbers, the UN number, I think, right Right now is about 17,700 Palestinians. The Euromed numbers are overall in Gaza, over 24,000 Palestinians have been killed. And there's all kinds of human rights organizations that are now asking and begging for a ceasefire. And we'll talk about the UN in a second. But over 9,000 children have been killed. That's almost 10,000 kids killed. And again, if this was Israeli kids, we'd have a totally different conversation going on here. So over 24,000 Palestinians of them killed. And the numbers of how many Hamas fighters that they've actually gotten are just a handful. The Israeli government really wanted to go after those those big wigs. They would know where to find them. These Hamas fighters are supposedly in these underground tunnels. But as it's been reported, those tunnels have not been shown by Israeli media. And um, Israel has been trying to brag about other things that they found. And it looks like a lot of propaganda and props that they have put in place. But none of these tunnels have been shown whatsoever. And you'd think that if they were really there, that'd be the first thing. People who have worked in the hospitals have been saying that we've worked here for 15 years and uh, we've seen absolutely no military command center. So these numbers seem like they're just the result of a, a carpet bombing of a mass exodus of a mass genocide on a people who are quite helpless to resist it. So 50% of Gaza being wiped off of the map, it's having the exact effect that you think it would have. Um, 50,000 injuries, thousands and thousands of people still under the rubble, 81 journalists have been killed. And uh, these are all purposeful, basically by the hands of, of Israel in the West Bank and in Gaza, in the occupied West Bank. So 1.84 million people are now displaced. And if you remember, there's there's only 2.3 million people in Gaza overall. So really uh, an overwhelming majority of Gaza has been displaced and indiscriminately bombed and killed. And 63,000 housing units have been destroyed. 160 press headquarters 282 schools um, have been damaged, factories, mosques, all of these things that the health staff have been also targeted. 214 deaths amongst doctors and nurses and paramedics and dozens of hospitals and ambulances have been targeted uh, in just this, this short time span. And this is one of those things where you can't really downplay this horrors of this war and compare it to other types of war or retaliation when this is just straight up carnage and destruction beyond anything that I think um, we're really going to see in our lifetime and up close and people as well are also starving. They have nothing to eat. Food prices have skyrocketed. People are going days and days without eating. They have uh, bags of flour going for 150 US dollars or 500 shekels. And there's just these footage of hundreds of people waiting in line for hopefully some food from the UN. And again, the ceasefire and the 
the humanitarian aid has been absolutely minimal to this point. It's just a total, total siege and total starvation, lots of diseases, no toilets, people being moved to the south of Gaza with absolutely nowhere to go, no UN ground bases uh, helping them and assisting them. Looking like it's not going to end anytime soon. There's Israeli officials saying it's going to go on for another three to four weeks. Um, the UN is quoted in saying that it wants to immediately deliver some type of resolution for the people of Gaza. But for the first time ever, this uh, security general invoked Article 99, which argues that this is a humongous, catastrophic situation, and we effectively need to force a vote to bring about this ceasefire, which the U.S. blocked. When things are really, really ugly right now, again, I'm going to have to get into some gruesome details to explain this further. There is a report of a nurse in a hospital. Again, all these lights are being shut down. They don't have their medical supplies that they need, and there's just flies and maggots everywhere in this hospital. And one of the most disgusting parts of this is that there's not even a place for people to bandage and clean their wounds. And this nurse describes maggots crawling out of all of her patients' bodies. And further still, the uh, Israeli Defense Force told people to evacuate a hospital and that the IDF would come later and rescue all of the babies that are in incubators. That never happened. Now we have footage of even CNN is covering this now. So anything from our government that would counter that to say, no, they're defending themselves, any other spin you want to put on that, I'm going to take what the government of Israel and what the soldiers have to say about how they treat it. I'm going to take what the Israeli government is saying. I'm going to take what the soldiers have to say at face value, what their actions, what the videos say, and what the numbers say for what they're actually doing against the Palestinian people and not any kind of other spin that people want to put on this about trying to go after Hamas, because that is clearly not the case, not even from their own words. Yeah. Uh, innocent children being shot down in the street, innocent civilians being shot down in the street, uh, settlers moving into these territories and there's Israeli flags being propped up in places that they just mowed down. So I'll end with this clear description from the soldiers themselves on what they are there to do. And then, Lindsay, we can jump into responding to this Mormon Palestinian pro-Israel man on Mormon Book Reviews as soon as we watch this. These IDF soldiers are saying conquer, expel, settle, conquer, expel, settle over and over again. All right, now let's get into Mormon book reviews. This Mormon Palestinian pro-Israel author, and we're going to respond to the things he has to say about the war. Take it away. But last night, my sister sent me this interview with Queen Rania of Jordan. I was just shocked. Like, here is this educated, intelligent. I know her to be very intelligent. She is she's in this interview, and there isn't one word of acknowledgement of the Israeli children or the Israeli civilians uh, who have been killed and why this is happening, why this has been. Hamas knew what would happen and they didn't care. Uh, whoever participated knew what would happen and they didn't care. And she was, she. Yeah, no, I mean, this is always a framework we use for Hamas. What about, I don't know, three months ago when the IDF, when people were, well, people were protesting, peacefully protesting in Gaza. I know that's going to matter to some people that we have that descriptor on there. And the IDF was shooting their ankles and purposely crippling them, knowing that they probably wouldn't be able to get passes to get the surgeries that they need. What did the IDF think was going to happen? What about they killed over 30 Palestinian children 
over the summer? What did they think was going to happen? Like suddenly when, suddenly when we turn that around, we're awful mean people for asking that, but that's always suddenly okay for framing for this discussion. And I just think that's really interesting how we are only allowed to talk about this one way, one very specific way. But what, what about when the IDF was crippling people, crippling pre peaceful protesters? What did, what did they think was going to happen? Why, why would they do that? Why would they put Israeli people in danger like that? Those were reckless actions that endangered Israeli lives. And we need to hold them responsible. Yeah, and I can't get over this line about, you know, Hamas knew this would happen and they didn't care as if the Palestinian people who are all being bombed and forced out of their homes right now, as if they wanted this to happen and they didn't care, completely disregarding the this news that's been breaking in the last couple of weeks that New York Times has reported that Israel had detailed uh, intelligence that Hamas was planning this attack on October 7th. Yeah. They got their hands on the detailed plans of what was going to unfold. And they understood that there was going to be paragliders. And it was just very arrogant and dismissive to think that, you know, the Palestinians could not possibly have these capabilities. And they just saw them as aspirational. But uh, this report that's coming out is there's actually been spies from Israel who've been watching the Gaza Strip and watching Hamas train for exactly what was laid out in this document and this attack being planned right in front of their faces. And I don't know if it just speaks to an incredible level of arrogance. You have the option of it's either just incompetence, arrogance, or as some people are saying that this is exactly what Netanyahu wanted to happen. But I think if he's supposed to be the, the right wing leader who's focused so much on safety, this doesn't do a lot for his his overall uh, call to power that this attack happened under his watch. But then again, nefarious leaders do what they do in times of crisis as they use the crisis to be able to achieve whatever their end goals are. And I think now we're seeing Israel use this attack by Hamas on October 7th as doing what his coalition, what his allies, what they want to do, which would be like an ethnic cleansing, should be pushing the Palestinians off of their land, which without question, they are succeeding at that end goal. War is war, and that's what happens in war. No more context needed. You can do that. But uh, if we actually look at what is played out, again, I've said in the other podcasts, we have the ideals of what we wish this war was with our allies in Israel. But if our ideals do not match the reality of what is going on and the reality walks and talks like a genocide, that's something we're going to need to pay attention to. It's not as simple as... Hamas knew this would happen if they attacked. So this New York Times article is something to consider that Israel knew that this attack was coming. It's similar to what happened before 9-11. And this document had even more information than we had about Osama bin Laden back in 2001. So between everything that we've talked about today and the leaders possibly just being incompetent, having access to high-grade military weapons from the U.S. and getting to use this crisis that they were too incompetent to uh, stop in the first place and just using it to do the things that they've already wanted to do, which is dehumanize the Palestinians, capture them as prisoners, humiliate them, and force them out of the Gaza Strip entirely, as well as taking political prisoners in the West Bank. This is happening. Why this has been Hamas knew what would happen and they didn't care. Uh, whoever participated knew what would happen and they didn't care. And she was, she brings up all the Palestinian deaths, which is fine, but. What a set of sentences to take 
in isolation. I feel like that is it's the worst crafted sentence I've ever heard. Whoever participated knew this would happen. Who Do we not want to name the war crimes of Israel at this point? We're not calling them whoever. That when the carpet bombing of Gaza by one military force backed by the United States, do they just get to be called like... You know, whoever did, whoever that was, they they knew that this would happen. This is why we've been talking about access to human rights and the only leverage being violence. If you want people to pay attention to the dead Palestinian children, you have to pay attention equal, if not more attention to the dead Israeli children. You cannot start to address something like this or be heard or your opinion be credible about it unless you acknowledge the humanity of those people who were killed in this horrible barbaric attack. You cannot. Like, and to me, once someone starts a conversation like that, I just cancel them. To the why dead. more? Why, why would we pay more attention? I agree with equal, but why wouldn't we pay more attention? Or like, why would we pay more attention? That, that, that doesn't make any sense. Why would he say that? And again, it, it's this idea that I I just really struggle with because if you turn it around, suddenly people are really, really, really offended. But how can we talk about the Israeli deaths on October 7th without talking about all of the Palestinian deaths over the years? And and talking like, should we, like, how, we have to acknowledge them equally, do we not? Because if we look from 2008 until now, it, there's exponentially more Palestinian deaths. So like, like he said, if people aren't willing to talk about Palestinian deaths and we only focus on Israeli deaths, then should we cancel them? Because that's what he does. And I, I just like, I don't understand. I understand it because I used to think this way, but it is just where he talks about like, she was so educated. Like his reasoning is so devoid of logic. Like it literally is just he, he literally says Israeli children's lives are worth more than Palestinian children's lives. And that is absurd and abhorrent. Yeah, that really, really disturbs me. One thing I've always wished I can tell my Arab and Palestinian friends, and I try to tell, think of yourself as a Jew trying to trace back your ancestry. And there is this big burning hole in the middle of your lines. Like, that's it. Someone came in and took out generations of your family and deprived you from knowing the generations before. And that was a tragedy. Think. Arabs need to know this. Muslims need to know this. Eastern Christians need to know this. You need to rid yourselves of anti-Semitism, be educated in what anti-Semitism is, and just take it out. Um, I, I don't think that he has to tell his Palestinian friends and neighbors about that anymore because they are literally living it right now. That's that's not a story for them anymore. They They are literally watching entire bloodlines be just absolutely a big burning hole, as he said. That is an apt analogy since they're being bombed. So, yeah, no, he's not, he's not going to have a hard time explaining that to them anymore because they are literally living it. Yeah. And if his point is around, like, you need to understand the anti-Semitism and it, you need to root it out. You need to root it out. I think it's like, you know, an anti-anybody sentiment of just like a of, of bigotry, period, end of sentence, a bigotry for anybody. And he's like, no, you guys who are being bombed right now, there's a great meme I should bring up to Oh my God, you've probably seen it where it's like a crying Palestinian mom bending down and like holding a dead baby. And it's a bunch oh, of yes. different microphones coming in. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, he's not wrong that anti Semitism is wrong. Like, yep, full stop. Anti Semitism is wrong. 
but there is also like if we're going to do this whole like equal thing like he really really loves then we also have to recognize how many videos have we seen of israelis talking about how they want to just absolutely decimate gaza and make it into a theme park and they've said that the gazans should be wiped off the face of the earth so i think we need to like let's talk to both groups about getting rid of biases because pretending that there's biases in one group and not the other is ridiculous and like Semitism are people who live in these areas. So is it anti-Semitic for the people of Israel to be saying those things about Palestinians? Because Palestinians are Semitic people. Semitism, be educated in what anti-Semitism is and just take it out, take it out and start fresh. And fortunately with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a way we can do that. I mean, the atonement is all about, you know, the savior of the world saying to us, come to me and I'll take everything that you've done before and I'll totally forget about it. Totally forget about it and start new with me. And we need to do that. And if, unless we do that, we're not Christians. We're not Christians. It thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jabra. I, what, uh, what Jabra, what I think you're saying is just is so beautiful and is the foundation for peace. I don't know what to do about the Muslim narrative because, unfortunately, the Muslim narrative is, is it's steeped in this Islamic dominance of, of the world, right? They they have no room like you're either if you live with muslims they have to be they have to be the ruling the ruling party this is that same thing uh, same thing i've said again i don't know where it's going to be in the videos that this is the idea that there is just something inherently flawed with arabs or muslims and so they're just incapable of doing democracy guys even though even though iran actually did have a democracy in the 50s and the CIA assassinated who they elected because we didn't like him. Um, they're just incapable. They're just incapable. Actually, the U.S. is kind of like, we're not so good for democracies abroad if the leaders that they elect don't support us. But, you know, no, it's just actually this group of people who are varied in ethnicities and beliefs and societal structures you guys it, it's just easier if the narrative is they're just bad at democracy they're just bad at being human and there's just something inherently wrong with their mind again th this that's propaganda that is a common propaganda technique used that's that's common propaganda for a group that we're trying to dehumanize and vilify that something's just wrong with them they're not like the rest of us the rest of us can be you know civilized and have democracy and they just can't and so it's just really too bad for them. And, you know, this is this is why, you know, we can't coexist with them. This is propaganda used to vilify Muslims, Arabs, people of color, all kinds of groups. This isn't new. We're just seeing it play out all the time. And we're just seeing we're just seeing it on social media now. And we're seeing it for what it is that this is this is propaganda. There aren't humans that are inherently better at democracy and inherently worse at democracy. That's that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Um, there are different cultural values. There are different things that people and cultures um, value in governmental structures. But it's not like they're def they're deficient. That is vilification of Arabs and Muslims. And we know that his narrative is Christianity and Mormonism is correct. So like. I just want everyone to recognize that for what that is. That is vilification of Muslims and Arabic people as somehow deficient and unable to work a democracy. But see over here we can, cause we're just better. It's, it's bullshit. I'm sorry. It's just absolute bullshit. Frighteningly so well said.
And if there was ever a time to throw around a Jordan Peterson quote, it would be right now. It would be United States, clean your room. Utah and Idaho, uh, clean up this mess, please. I'm going to have to bring this up and I don't want to look like I'm attacking you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because my point would be, uh, you know, if you do look at Muslim majority nations, they don't have anywhere near the amount of rights for women, for gays, for et cetera, and that they are mostly run by like theocracies. I mean, to the the historical point that I brought up, a large part of that is because we have helped to support the Islamist states. We have to talk about secular Islamic nations versus Islamic states, which are like, as it sounds, one is more secular and one is more religious and theocratic based. We, the United States, I, I know the conservatives will be like, it's always our fault. It literally is though. Like, you know, cause it, cause it is, I don't know. It's a stereotype. That's true. There, there's this stereotype that they are more oppressive and, and we see that in some countries today. Um, but that's not unique to Islam. I mean, look at Christian nationalists, look at how we don't have reproductive rights in a lot of this country anymore, even though it might mean our women die. So like, do we value women or not so much, but we have to talk about that. We fought against these secular nations because in a lot of cases they were aligned with the USSR and we couldn't have that. And we wanted access to their oil. And so we had a real clear motive to destabilize these countries and destabilize these governments and that they were more secular. They were, they were every bit as Western as, as we are. And, and not that being Western is good, but like that women were going to college, women were in all these professions. They dressed how they wanted. They dressed in very Western apparel. You, you could go to France and you could go to Iraq in the sixties and you'd see like the same thing. And, and so we want to point to them being regressive and oppressive. And a lot of that has to do with with the theocratic Islamist governments that we supported because it benefits us and our access to resources. So, so like it, this isn't an inherent Muslim trait any more than it's an inherent Christianity trait or an inherent to any religion trait that if you have a, a very strong theocratic group in charge and, and you have an oligarchy that is their source of power is religion course you're going to have oppression but like the christian nationalists here want to do the same thing and oppress us in similar ways they want to take a rid they want to get rid of birth control they, they are actively working towards that and they talk about it all the time they're not even quiet about it it's it's not a muslim thing it's a religion thing and again if we want to talk about lgbtq rights anything where we can point to muslim countries we also have issues here like there are americans who are trying to get rid of gay marriage they, they like, look at all the laws we had in the past few years. And, and so we can have that discussion about Muslim countries, but it's disingenuous for us to pretend that that doesn't happen here. And that like, I, I think it serves as we are every bit as susceptible as they were. Like we look at those pictures of women at teaching at Iranian universities and, and then we're like, how could that have happened? The same way the Christian nationalists wanted to happen here. What are you talking about? Like, we aren't immune from that. And it's, it, anytime you have an oligarchy, anytime you have a theocracy or a religious based government, there's going to be oppression of the groups that are demonized and vilified in those groups. And so again, we, we can, we can have that discussion, but it's also important how we frame that discussion. We always frame that discussion as a way to demonize 
people of color, people in other ethnic groups, people in other regions of the world. I mean, we could have another discussion about how Asian countries are incredibly patriarchal. We don't though. Like that's never, that's never a discussion we have. Um, cultural norms there that are leading women to not even want to date or get married because it's so oppressive and patriarchal. We never have that discussion. We never seem to talk about that. And when we never seem to talk about it in a way that we should view them as less or they're our enemies or that they are less deserving of human dignity. Um, that seems to be a discussion that we solely give to Muslims and people of color for, for their beliefs. So if, if we're going to have this discussion, let's be really honest about where it comes from. It comes from racism and it comes from Islamophobia and it comes from xenophobia. And so if we honestly want to have those discussions and lay out like, here's what oppressive Christianity is looking like and trying to achieve in our country. Here's what oppression in Asian countries and patriarchal oppression looks like in those countries. Here's what oppression looks like in, you know, Islamist based countries. We could have that discussion. We literally only ever have that discussion, though, when we want an excuse to dehumanize Muslims or to vilify Muslims. The Bible and the Quran are uh, both, you know, like, let's all murder each other's enemies. Like you can yeah. it's the Quran has some really, you know, horrific things in it. In my in my most uh, atheist rant, you know, I could go off on Muslims just and and what's written in the Quran that people use to justify and then things people use to justify like Netanyahu right now or Christian nationalists can use to justify the the things that we pull from our scriptures are very subject to our environment and our teachings. Just like there are Christians who are like, no, Jesus is about love. And there are Christians who are about like Christian theocracy. Jesus, you know. Yeah. Jesus also came to use the sword, you know, it's like uh, yeah. just the way that any, any scholars of religious texts tell you that there's interpretations that can be lifted from it of all kinds. There's so many kinds of Muslims. If you want to talk about that, there's yeah. so many different interpretations and everything. And, uh, the, I just know I'm going to get people being like, nope, Muslim, the Quran, it, you open it up. It tells everybody to murder and marry six-year-olds. Um, do you, if you have anything to say on that, or maybe you don't. Yeah. Well, and I think that leads into a discussion about how, again, I'm an atheist. Like I, I, I don't believe in any religion, which is offensive to most religions. Um, but the other thing we have to talk about is we are talking about when we end up talking about these, these Muslim groups or Muslims in general, we speak in generalities. Um, and, and it's, this is a phenomenon that I think is really interesting. Um, but like, so with Christianity, everyone like Mormons specifically, like, no, I'm just talking about Mormonism and Mormon scripture and evangelicals, like evangelical interpretation. But then Muslims, like, it's like, nope, it's just one specific thing. And, and we just, you know, we, we pick out these, like, well, the Quran said this and the Quran said that, and that sounded really violent. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that clip where uh, this person was interviewing people on the streets and reading these verses of the Quran and people were like, that is horrifying. That is violent. That is scary. And then he'd be like, actually, that was from the Bible. And they were like, oh, huh. I didn't know the Bible was like so violent. And so I think it's really important that we also have nuance in this conversation as somebody who's not religious, that there are so many different interpretations of scripture. And just, just like we have Christians who are all about like, Jesus was about love and let's just, let's make everyone feel 
welcome and peaceful and how you choose to perceive Jesus and how you choose to, you know, find peace and love and serve your neighbor. Like that, that's the point of religion. And then we also have the Christians who are Christian nationalists who are like, literally you have to live our religion and we want women to have no rights and no gay people. And actually the entire government will just be a theocracy that, that exists within like Islam too and Judaism and all of these groups where you like different groups will interpret, interpret scriptures differently. And, and we, we don't ever have that like nuance in this discussion that there are all kinds of different types of Muslims who believe all different kinds of things and interpret the scriptures all different types of way. And, and, you know, recognize their God in different ways. And it means different things in their lives. And they have, you know, different interpretations of, of how, what it means to be a good Muslim and what it means to be Muslim. Um, same in Judaism, that there are all different kinds from completely secular to extremely orthodox, and they all interpret things different ways. And in the incredibly orthodox Jewish people are some of the, like the strongest opponents to Zionism saying that it conflicts with their scripture. It conflicts with the Torah. And so again, we have to have this conversation when we talk about, you know, oh, Muslims this or Christians this, that there are all different interpretations. There are all these different types of groups. So like, especially in that one video where he's like, well, Muslims, you know, are this, that, and the other scary thing that that is absolutely bringing no nuance to the conversation perpetuating stereotypes, perpetuating fear. And, and that we, we have to, we have to hold space, however uncomfortable it is that these groups are not monoliths and that what they believe is varied based on culture, based on where they live, based on how much affinity they feel for their religion, um, whether it is something that they feel everyone should be living or they feel like it's more cultural and just um, nostalgic for them. And we just, I know that can be uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable for a lot of people. That is uncomfortable for Mormons to exist in spheres with ex-Mormons where we talk about like, I'm still culturally Mormon. There's still a lot of just like, it's how I was raised. There's a lot of things about, um, I, you know, who I am that are culturally Mormon, even though I'm an atheist. And so I know that causes a lot of discomfort for people, but that's something we also have to hold space for that all these different groups of people, when we're talking about them, it's easier to talk about them as a monolith, but that's not realistic. And that's, that's a, does it does a disservice to these conversations. To me, why does that happen? And I just we're seeing, it, we're seeing it played out right now. Okay, right this now, there were Jews who were marching in Black Lives Matter protests. There were Jews that were involved in the human rights campaigns. Uh, all this, all the, the the core of it. And then the second, and they marched in lockstep with many of these progressives. And next thing, Israel gets attacked, and they find out these were never their friends to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. Are you ready for this point? Do you hear what he's saying? Oh yes. Oh, I yeah. I okay, started to hear yeah. this all over the Christian world. Okay. And so, you when you look at these things, you understand the reason that. The, the unity of the Jewish people is important. And you understand why Israel has the reaction it has, why Jews all over the world have the reaction they have. To hey, do you want to pause it? Because I do want to respond like to that point. Okay, so I've seen this narrative a lot amongst conservatives where, first of all, they're making Jews a complete monolith, that that all Jews were one thing and now all Jews are not that thing or are, you know, finding out. And 
So first of all, that's making that group an entire monolith. Second of all, um, that that is ignoring the fact that, that like so many Jewish people are speaking out against Zionism and against oppression. So so claiming that like Jewish people fought for civil rights, fought for Black Lives Matter, fought for people's access to human rights. And then when it's coming to Israel, they aren't doing the same thing. That is ignoring incredibly brave and and just incredible people who are standing up, who, who are Jewish and are standing up and saying, no, oppression is wrong. Oppression is wrong, even if it's a group I'm affiliated with, even if it's, if, even if it's a group that people want to affiliate me with, even if it's a group that I've been told to support my whole life, that that oppression is wrong. So first of all, he's completely ignoring and diminishing what they're doing and speaking over them saying that all Jews are acting a certain way, which is insanity and ridiculous. And is he the Jewish guy? Like, oh, oh, the guy in the top right, that guy is, uh, that's the guy who runs the podcast. He is oh, yeah. okay, gay so no, evangelical. Like, so yeah, so no, he is saying, he is like, it's just wild to me. It's, he would probably say I'm anti-Semitic, but he is classifying Jewish people as one thing and putting them in one box and saying that they all believe one thing which is wild and completely diminishing the power and strength and voice of so many Jewish people who are speaking out against oppression. And so when you diminish people speaking out against oppression, what are you doing? And I, I just think that is so fascinating. Here, here's the thing that's not consistent is they want to talk about there are you know, they, they spoke out again, you know, they spoke out for Black Lives Matter, which was oppression against Black people in this country. And they're speaking out for all these human rights groups. And then like acting like Jewish people have been betrayed. This isn't like, this isn't about Jewish people. This is about an oppressive government, an Israeli government. And associating all Jewish people with an oppressive government is anti-Semitism. Like on its face <laughs> yeah. is anti-Semitism. Like he's leading with the anti-Semitism that Jewish people are associated with an oppressive government or that we associate all of them with an oppressive government. And that is wild. And they will just, these conservatives will just say this all day long, like it's no big deal. But then if you say anything about Palestinians or that, you know, they're people, so could we treat them like people instantly or anti-Semitic? I just don't like, it, it absolutely, like, I'm like, does everybody, can everybody see what's going on? Does anybody else see this? Because this is wild. The Palestinian Authority cannot be trusted. Hamas cannot be trusted. None of the Palestinian factions actually can be trusted. And there is no way of, of getting a trustable government. I mean, that requires like a change in the culture. And oh, pause, pause. People Sorry, I do have to. I, as a Once political you... person, I, I do have to address that. No, 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 no. I, I, do have, I do have to talk about that because he is counting on the fact that you don't know about all of the different Palestinian factions and what they believe and the different groups. That, that would be like saying that socialists and Democrats and Republicans and Christian nationalists, they're all the same. They're all the same. They're all the same groups. Um, he's counting on the fact that you have no idea what's going on. You just tuned in and you don't know anything before October 7th. And so that's very disingenuous to say that the PLO, the Fatah, all of these different groups, there, there are different groups of Palestinians living in other countries. Like to, to just say they're all the same and they're all like Hamas, is 
it's dishonest. Like, honestly, it's dishonest. And he's counting on people being stupid, which I mean, given probably who some of his audience is, that's a fair assumption to make, but he's counting on them being ignorant of what's going on. And so he can say, all Palestinian groups are like Hamas. Now in your mind, you're thinking, okay, so yeah, all Palestinian groups, all, all the people they've elected, all the, all the representatives, all of, all of the different types of groups that they, that they have that are working for Palestinian rights, they're all terrorist groups. And so by association, everybody, everybody that gets into any kind of leadership or is fighting for Palestinians must be terrorists just by association because every group is, and he says they are, and he's an expert and he's counting on the fact that you have no idea about any Palestinian group or any history before October 7th. And so the way he's framing that is dishonest completely dishonest. Such amazing takes. I cannot believe that you're not like reading a script. You're like so smart. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, for thank you sharing for having all your on. knowledge. Thank you. Um, thank you. I'm glad I'm on somebody's for you page. Cause man, that algorithm doesn't like me sometimes, but thank you so much for having me on. Mm -hmm. Everybody go follow Lindsay over at socialistly awkward. Uh-huh. And just quickly, while I'm wrapping up this three-part series, I wanted to throw up on screen a few different ways where if you are convinced, if you are on the side of let's not do a genocide and you want to know what you can do next, I'll leave the links below, but there's lots of different ways to contact your representatives and uh, abstain from purchasing things from different companies that support Israel. So those links will also be below. Well, this was a really intense and heavy discussion, but I would not want to have it with anyone but you, my dear Lindsay. So Aww. thank you so, so much for, um, yeah, just kind of sharing all of these insights. And I, I learned a ton and, uh, Hey, everybody out there, um, um, Mormon history, hoedown podcast and listeners, uh, please give it up for Lindsay. This is, this has been an intense, like labor of love to be able to yeah. film, uh, these different episodes of this series. So please throw her some cash down below. I'll leave, I'll leave your links. Um, oh, she doesn't, you. you don't make thank any you. money doing this really. And, um, she just does it for the love of the game, I guess. Is that what yeah. you said? Be in touch. <laughs> right, have a good right. night. Thank you. Night. Mm, so that about wraps it up. Uh, I have to say thank you guys. I'm so very happy to see you here with me at the end of it. What a series, huh? But it really, it means so much to me that you guys are here watching me say this. I run this podcast as part of my nonprofit, the Nuance Hug Foundation, where all donations are tax deductible. I make this my full-time job, but I know that times are tough. So if you can donate 10 or 20 bucks to the show, I really appreciate it. Links to everything like my world famous merch, my socials, my email, um, and Lindsay's info, Venmo are all down below. Mormon History Hoedown is also available as a podcast. So if you're listening to this as a podcast, you're already ahead of me. It's also a video. I'm moving my hands right now. But of course, you're watching this as a YouTube video because you know that this is where you get to see this bright, shiny face and this studio which is, this is my, my last episode in this studio here. And I'm going to be so sad to move, but you guys, you have to stay tuned. Holy smokes. I have even bigger and better things coming from my channel, including heaps of in-person interviews with famous ex-Mormons, historians, comedians. So thank you again for watching. And I will see everybody real soon from my new studio. All right. That's all folks. Love you so much.